morning, everyone. Welcome to Woodburn Baptist Church. My name is Tim Harris. I am pastor and delighted to welcome you. Open your Bibles this morning to 1 Samuel chapter 28, if you dare. 1 Samuel chapter 28, I am uh, in the message series now entitled Paranormal Activity, uh, what the Bible says about all things dark, weird, and scary. And today we're going to talk about ghosts. Uh, so uh, brace yourself. I have had, speaking of scary, weird, and dark, I've had a, a six uh, very young teenage girls in my, in my home for, for Disciple Now weekend. Uh, it's been an education, y'all. I, I have uh, one son, uh, one son, so that's all I've ever known is, is, is a boy and, and, and six girls. Uh, it's been wild. Uh, Friday night they arrived. Uh, I thought we had enough food because I thought girls didn't eat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my goodness, uh, girls eat, and, uh, and as soon as we'd eaten Friday night, it was really, really late because they, they got to our house really late, uh, so it's already after midnight, so what do you think they want to do? Tell scary stories, right? Tell scary stories, so I'm, I'm good for this. I, I told y'all, you know, last week, I, I like to be scared, but, it, but it's hard to scare me. I'm not brave. Uh, I've just been around a while, you understand? Um, it's just really interesting, though, hearing girls these days tell scary stories because, number one, they, they didn't scare me at all. Now, when I was a kid telling scary stories, we told scary stories, people. I mean, you know, it, it was scary, but it's interesting. In my generation, uh, scary stories typically had to do with things we couldn't see. We would tell ghost stories, you understand? We would tell ghost stories, and we would stand in the mirror and say we hate bell wits and stuff like that. Uh, and some of you know what I'm talking about. Um, we were more afraid of things that we could not see. But it's interesting how the girls at my house, at least this weekend, their scary stories were darker and weirder than anything I've ever imagined. Um, but for them, the scary stories were not about things unseen. They told stories about axe murderers, and they told episode after episode of Criminal Minds. Uh, in other words, things they had actually seen on television that, that continued to stay with them in, in frightening ways. It was just very interesting uh, how the kids seem more scared of things they actually see, that they seem more afraid of other people. Again, I didn't grow up that way. We lived close to the interstate. Uh, people would break down on the interstate all the time. We let axe murderers just enter our house to use the phone. I mean, we were not afraid of people. I never feared people growing up in, in, in this community. Uh, I was more afraid of things not seen. It may be changing, uh, and, and that's interesting. Statistics say that about one in three of us believe in ghosts, about one in three. And about one in four of us actually feel like we have seen or been in the presence of a, a ghost, a, a disembodied spirit of somebody who, who has died. Uh, you will find statistics that have it somewhat lower, um, and, and, but that's sort of the mid-range. About a third believe in ghosts, about a fourth feel like they've actually seen one. It's really interesting. I, I think ghosts are... Are prevalent in, in our culture, at least a belief in it, but because it, it really gets to things that we really don't know much about death. It also gets, it, it gets right to the heart. Many people who want to believe in ghosts are not afraid of them. Uh, it's simply that they've lost somebody that they've loved and they want to think that there might be some way that they can continue that relationship. You with me? You know what I'm saying? So actually in, in our world, in the grown-up world anyway, ghosts aren't always something to fear at all. It's, it, it's sometimes it's, it's a hope that we have because we want to think. We want to think that there's something on the other side of the grave. 
interesting, and I don't know what to make of this, but when it comes to paranormal activity in general, ghosts, even alien abductions, the interesting thing is um, uh, the, the, those kinds of beliefs and experiences kind of cut across the, uh, the, the mix of people in our culture, but, but there's uh, one group of people less likely to experience these things. What group of people do you think that is? One group of people less likely to be abducted by aliens, apparently. One group of people less likely to say they've ever experienced ghosts or anything like that. Would you care to guess what group of people that is? Practicing Christians. I'm not making that up. Practicing Christians are, are less likely to be abducted by aliens. So there you go. There you go. One less thing for you ever have to worry about. Yeah. It's really interesting, really interesting how a, a person whose faith is really anchored in Christ, a person who uh, is devoted to Scripture, a person who attends church regularly, uh, rarely has these sorts of experiences. The people most likely to say that they feel like they've seen ghosts and been in the presence of ghosts are those who do not attend church regularly. That's just interesting to me. I don't know exactly what it means, but my hunch is there is truly something about the Holy Spirit in your life, something about faith in Christ that, that protects you, and also I think something that helps you understand what is real and what is not real, which brings us to 1 Samuel chapter 28. Wherever you thought this service was going, this sermon was going, I'm probably about to, uh, to stretch you a bit. 1 Samuel chapter 28 is a, a ghost story in scripture. First Samuel chapter 28. It's, this is awesome, though. I love this story. Uh, let's jump right in. First Samuel chapter 28. I'm going to start with verse 4. The Philistines set up their camp at Shunem, and Saul gathered all the army of Israel and camped at Gilboa. Now, who is Saul? He's a king. He's, he's the king. Here we go. When Saul saw the vast Philistine army, this is the enemy, he became frantic with fear. He asked the Lord what he should do, but the Lord refused to answer him. Okay, stop right there. God's not talking to Saul. Now, now some of you, you may wonder, now, I, I didn't think that God ever stopped talking. I thought that whenever we asked that he would answer, and, and, and that is true. But understand, this is at the end of Saul's life. And now Saul is desperate to hear God's voice. Saul is desperate to have God's wisdom and, and God's protection in his life. But, but God's not answering Saul. Now, why is that? A really simple answer. God is not speaking to Saul now because Saul has never listened when God was speaking. Understand? There is a certain danger in not listening to God, and Saul is now living that nightmare. He wasn't listening when God was speaking, so now when Saul is speaking, God's not listening. That's the scariest thing I'll tell you today, by the way. He asked the Lord what he should do, but the Lord refused to answer him, either by dreams or by sacred lights or by the prophets. So Saul said to his advisors, find a woman who is a medium. What's that? Somebody who can talk to dead people, okay? Find a woman who is a medium so I can go and ask her what to do. His advisors replied, there is a medium at Endor. It's a place called Endor. Now stop right there. Why is it so hard to find a medium in the kingdom? Because they're forbidden. The Old Testament clearly forbids having anything to do with anybody who wants to talk to the dead. Trying to contact the dead, communicating with the dead, anything related to that is clearly and strictly forbidden in Scripture. 
And so Saul is the king at this point of God's people, though he's not a very good king. And so he has run all of the mediums, all of the occultists. There's nobody like that in the kingdom, at least not out in the open. Because that's forbidden. And everything that follows in this chapter, it's forbidden. You understand? It's forbidden. It's what makes the story important. His advisors replied, there's a medium at Endor. So Saul, follow this, Saul disguised himself by wearing ordinary clothing instead of his royal robes. Then he went to the woman's home at night, accompanied by two of his men. I have to talk to a man who has died, he said. Will you call up his spirit for me? Are you trying to get me killed? The woman demanded. You know that Saul has outlawed all the mediums and all who consult the spirits of the dead. Why are you setting a trap for me? But Saul took an oath in the name of the Lord and promised, as surely as the Lord lives, nothing bad will happen to you for doing this. Finally, the woman said, well, whose spirit do you want me to call up? Call up Samuel, Saul replied. Now, who's Samuel? Yeah, the, the, the prophet, yeah. Samuel has been the, the, the man of God in Saul's life, but now Samuel's gone. Samuel is the one who could always talk to God, always knew what God's will was. But now Samuel is gone, and this just compounds Saul's desperation and isolation. He doesn't know anybody who can get a hold of God except for Samuel, and Samuel's dead. So what's his plan? We're going to have a seance. Okay, here we go. Call up Samuel, Saul replied. Now, when the woman saw Samuel, she screamed. Okay, me too. When the woman saw Samuel, she screamed, You've deceived me. You're Saul. Don't be afraid, the king told her. What do you see? I see gods, or I see like a god coming up out of the earth, she said. What's he look like, Saul asked. He's an old man wrapped in a robe, she replied. Saul realized it was Samuel, and he fell to the ground before him. Why have you disturbed me by calling me back, Samuel asked Saul. Okay, we can stop right there. Did y'all know that was in the Bible? I mean, did y'all know that was in the Bible? Because that's in the Bible. Now, whatever you thought I was supposed to say about ghosts, I probably just blew it. Because that's in the Bible. That's in the Bible. Saul the king wants to talk to Samuel who is dead. So he goes to a medium. They have a seance. And they talk to Samuel. What are we going to do with that? Well, a couple of things we need to point out. Again, I remind you, what is described in this passage is strictly forbidden in Scripture. It's strictly forbidden. This is not presented as any kind of example to follow. Saul is not the example to follow. You understand that? And throughout the rest of this story, which I encourage you to read, you're going to find out that this is the end for Saul. This is the end for him. Samuel shows up, oh yeah. And Samuel tells him, oh yeah, the truth from God. But it's not exactly the message Saul was hoping to hear. This is not your example. This is strictly forbidden. 
And anytime, anytime God forbids something, there's only one reason why God forbids anything. God is not somebody who just likes to make rules and, and, and cut us off from things that are fun or interesting. Whenever God forbids something, there's only one reason for that, and that is that it would be harmful. Understand? God loves us. God wants to bless us, and he only forbids things that are harmful to us. So let's start there. This is strictly forbidden. But let's go on. This chick, this medium, she's cracking me up. You just got to stop it. You know, this is almost like if we were making a movie, we would get like Whoopi Goldberg to play this. This would be her. Because understand, Saul is the king. Saul is king, which means he's the most famous man in the kingdom. Everybody knows Saul. He is the tallest man in the whole land. He's handsome. He's good-looking. He's Saul. He's the king, which means he's on the news like every single night. He's in People magazine. I mean, everybody knows who Saul is, and Saul understands that. He just can't go strolling out looking for a, you know, somebody to do a seance with him. So Saul puts on a disguise, all right? He puts on a cheap pair of sunglasses and a wig, and he walks into this lady's little shop of horrors, and he asks for a seance. Okay, just help me here. She's supposed to be some sort of psychic. She's supposed to be some sort of lady with power, but she can't see past a cheap pair of sunglasses and a wig. Understand? She ain't much. She doesn't know who Saul is, you know. Lady Endora sees all, knows all, but she doesn't know who Saul is. So, you know, kind of strike one against her. She really can't even recognize the king just when he's got on sunglasses. But number two, the thing is, you know, she says, who do you want me to call up? And she says, call up Samuel. And then she calls up Samuel. And then Samuel shows up and she freaks out. She freaks out. Now, just stop with me. Just think through this. Why does she freak out? Obviously, this has never happened before. <laughs> I mean, just, I'm just being logical. You know, if she did this all the time, then when the ghost comes up, she's not going to freak out. But she freaks out. She's screaming. Ah! I mean, she's never seen a, a ghost before. All right? So, just so you know... She ain't much. She's never been much. Not a very good one. But it happens. She calls up Samuel's spirit. And he talks. Which leads me to the important question. um, How did that happen and how often does this happen? I mean, that's what I need to know. If it happens in Scripture, it, it, it must be somehow possible. So if it's possible, then tell me, how did this happen and how often is it going to happen? So let's answer the question. Turn with me now. Turn with me now to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Please turn. This is important. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Are there ghosts? I've read the Old Testament story in Samuel, so, so, so we have that in Scripture. Are, are there ghosts? 
let's define ghosts. Well, what, what do we mean by ghosts? When, when I say ghosts, I think when most people say ghosts, we're thinking about some sort of disembodied spirit. It's disembodied. If it was in a body, in other words, it's not a ghost, it's a person. Um, it's a disembodied spirit. Uh, and it's not so much that, that we are concerned about those unless they might be walking among us. So a ghost would be a disembodied spirit that somehow is able to visit us or communicate with us or haunt a house or, or, or whatever, whatever you imagine. A disembodied spirit that somehow roams the earth. That's our question. So let's go first to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's make a beeline to the Bible and find out what the Bible says about our bodies and our deaths. So here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is talking. Paul says, we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our, our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this, and as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. Let's break this down. Let's talk about this very, very practically. I want to remind you what we are as human beings. Let's start there. Paul talks about our bodies. And what does he compare our bodies to? In this passage, really two things. Our bodies are like what? First, like a tent. He says, we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down. Anybody ever gone camping? You stay in that tent for just a short time. If you live in the tent, you're not camping, you're homeless. You understand? It's a temporary thing. You stay in the tent for a short while, and this is Paul's picture. This earthly tent that we live in, one day it's going to be taken down. So, so Paul speaks of our existence, our, our existence as human beings as somehow like, like living inside of a tent, and, and this body is a, a tent. Later in the passage, he talks about it in terms of clothes. It's like this body is, is a suit of clothes that, that, that I'm wearing. So for Paul, and in Scripture, you need to understand that human existence is, is embodied. In other words, we have bodies. In Paul's day, in the ancient Greek civilization, for example, they really didn't care for bodies. And so often in, in Greek religions, uh, they, they imagined somehow being free of the body. They considered the body to be wicked and, and dirty. And understand, in Scripture, that's not the way bodies are presented. We live in this body, but, but there's nothing necessarily in itself wrong with being in a body. That's why Paul says that even in heaven, we're still going to have bodies. We are intended to be inside bodies. This is part of Paul's point here. We have, we have bodies. So I, I, I am a body, a physical, biochemical body, but, but I'm also, you could say, I, I live inside this body, which is kind of strange, but, but I, I inhabit this body. So when I say I inhabit the body, what am I talking about? 
Well, again, for Scripture, we're talking about your spirit, your soul. I am a soul inside a body. God breathed inside the man Adam, the Scripture says in Genesis, and he became a living soul. So you must understand there is this body, this, this outward part of me that you can see, the part of me that interacts with the physical world, the physical body. But also there's this inner person, my soul, my spirit. And that's the, the inner man, the, the inner woman. You can't see my soul, you can't see my spirit, but because it truly is spiritual, it's not physical, it's not biochemical, you're never going to see the soul show up in any kind of scientific study or experiment. You're never going to take a picture of it with an MRI. Do you understand? It's just not physical. It's not a part of, of the physical universe. It, it, it's spiritual. It's my soul. It, it's the inner person. So understand, as we talked about a little bit last week, we are these souls that are embodied. We are embodied spirits. And it's not just that I have a soul, that I have a spirit. I am intended to be inhabited by God's Holy Spirit. And Paul talks about that here too. It's not just that this body is a tent for my soul, for my spirit. This body is also intended to be a temple for God's Holy Spirit who comes also and inhabits me when I invite him. You understand? So human existence is about being embodied. We are embodied spirits. And Paul makes a very important point here to make you understand that, that although you can talk about me in these parts, you can talk about my soul and my spirit and my body, you really can't dissect me like that. Those are parts of a whole, and I am all of these things. And none of these were intended to exist without the others. In other words, if you take the soul out of this body, this body's no longer alive. You can't even say it's me anymore. This body was never intended to, to, to exist, to function without housing my soul, my, my spirit. You can say the same thing in a way about our soul and spirit, however. We were never intended to be disembodied spirits. This is what Paul says. We're not created to be spirits without bodies. So even in heaven, even after we die, understand, when we live forever in eternity in God's presence, we're going to have bodies again, glorious bodies, heavenly bodies. Okay, so y'all with me? So here's the question. When do I get that heavenly body? When do I get that glorified body, that, that body that will allow me to interact in God's presence in all eternity in heaven? When do I get my heavenly body? Now, th the sad truth is I could die right now before your eyes, before this sermon is over. I could die. I really could. So when I die, all of my bodily functions just cease, and I'm going to collapse in the floor. You'll call the paramedics. You'll probably vacuum really good by next Sunday. But, but I will be dead. This body will be buried somewhere. We haven't made that decision yet, honey, have we? It'll be buried somewhere. Uh, but what about my soul, my spirit? Paul says it's never intended to be a spirit without a body. When will I get my heavenly body? Well, according to what Paul says in Thessalonians, we all get our heavenly bodies at the same time. Now, when is that time? On the very last day, when the trumpet sounds, Scripture says, when Jesus returns, 
we're all going to be caught up together and, and the dead will be raised, Scripture says, and we all get glorified bodies at the very same time on the last day. So, if I were to die today, in that time between when I die and when Christ returns and we all get glorified bodies together, in, in that time in between... I kind of will be a disembodied spirit. This is what Paul teaches. I will be uh, conscious and aware in God's presence, but it's not going to be a, a, a kind of embodied existence. It's just a very short time. It's a time of waiting. It's a temporary period. And in that intermediate state, we won't have our spirit bodies. We won't have our glorified bodies. I will kind of be a, a soul, a spirit, waiting for my new body. If you follow what the scripture says about Jesus' resurrection, Jesus is the only fully resurrected body at this point. Jesus uh, was raised from the dead. Jesus does have his glorified body, his resurrected body. And we will have the same kind of body that he has. So if you want to know what it's going to be like in heaven, what kind of body we're going to have, just study Jesus. We'll have his kind of glorified body. But we don't get it immediately when we die. We get it on the last day. So in this intermediate period, you with me? Y'all with me? In this intermediate period, we will kind of be disembodied spirits. Are y'all getting worried about where this sermon seems to be leading? Is it worrying you yet? Because in that intermediate period, we really are kind of disembodied spirits. I'm not saying we're ghosts, but, but we're not fully human, we're not fully transformed yet, we're sort of in an intermediate state awaiting the resurrection of, of everyone else. Okay, so what does this mean? What does this mean? Are there disembodied spirits who roam the earth? That's our question now. If people who die really do leave their bodies and, and they are, their souls are, are, are without a body, then, then is it possible for them to, to roam the earth? Can they come back? Can you talk to them? Can they contact us? Do they roam? Do they haunt? Let's answer it. Go to Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. This is Jesus speaking. Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. Now this is good, people. This is good. Jesus says, I am the living one. I died. <laughs> I love that. I am the living one, period. I died, comma, but look, I am alive forever and ever. That's good. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever. And here we go. And I hold the, say it, keys. I hold the keys of death and the grave. Jesus says, look, I am alive. I, I died, but I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death and the grave. So let's start right there. Who has the keys to death and the grave? Jesus. Jesus. He is the only one who has died and been resurrected. He holds the keys. That means that Jesus has the grave. He has death under lock. And he's in control. He controls who comes in and he controls who goes out. 
Jesus holds the keys to death and the grave. Now we're going to start right there. When I die, when you die, I experience death and the grave. And who holds the keys to that? Jesus. Jesus does. Jesus holds the keys. One of the problems that, that you will face when you talk to people who believe in ghosts or one of the issues, the theological issues when you watch the movies about ghosts is there's always this sort of assumption that the one who died is sort of stuck in between. You know what I mean? It's like they, they got trapped. That they, they, they didn't go toward the light. You understand? Or somehow they missed the bus. And so they're sort of stuck, you know, in your grandma's house. And they come out at night. You know, that's the assumption that, that somehow they're stuck. Like they have unfinished business to do on earth. You know, it's like she fell down the stairs looking for her mama, so now she's still out there looking for mama. Mama. The alarming and false assumption there is that when any one of us would die. Jesus wouldn't know. Do you understand me? Nobody misses the bus. Nobody gets stuck in between. Nobody gets to do unfinished business after they die. When you die, this life is over. And you leave this world. And Jesus sees to that. He holds the keys to death and the grave. Now, there are two instances in Scripture, two instances when disembodied spirits were allowed to come back to the earth and visit. Okay, The first one we, we read together in Samuel, and that's a really awesome story, and it's weird, but it also is not something that's going to happen very often. It's only going to happen when God lets it happen, and then only for his purpose. You understand? And there was a purpose in letting Samuel come back, so God allowed that. But that's not normative. That's not what you should expect. You with me? The other time that disembodied spirits actually came to the earth and interacted was in the New Testament. What story? The Mount of Transfiguration. You remember that story? When Jesus, before he died and before he resurrected, he was transfigured. He was transformed. It's like God pulled back the curtain and allowed them to see Jesus' glory for a moment. And in that moment, two people showed up next to him. Who, who were they? Moses and Elijah. And I remind you, they were dead. But they were alive. Moses and Elijah came and stood next to Christ. Now, as far as I can know, as far as I've read Scripture, those are the only instances when disembodied spirits have come back. Those were in Scripture, and those were for God's very specific purposes. So we can't say it's impossible, because it's happened, but it doesn't happen often. And I don't know that it'll ever happen again. You understand? Jesus holds the key to death and the grave. And dead people are not walking around lost. They're not trying to find the light. They're not trying to, to go through the door. Do you understand? Jesus doesn't leave you to find the door on your own. Don't you understand? We were talking 
last message about creation and what God has created. So let me start there. In, in all of creation, that there are you know, spiritual beings that, that God created in glory for his own service and for his pleasure. And we typically call those angels. And some of the angels rebelled and we call those demons. And some of those spirit beings do, of course, sometimes interact with us on the earth. It's, it's strange, but, but demons are real. And then there's human beings, and we've talked about that, how we are souls and bodies, but, but how when we die, our soul goes into God's presence. He, he takes us either heaven or hell, wherever we go. There's, there's no finding your own way. He, he, he takes us. So let me just say this. If you encounter any kind of spirit being on the earth, even if it looks like your grandma or John Quincy Adams, it's not your grandma or John Quincy Adams. If your grandma died, she's not coming back. Not like that, you understand? If we encounter spirit beings on the earth, and understand that those, those would be demons or, or possibly angels from God, but, but since the Holy Spirit now has been sent, there's not a lot of use for angels to deliver messages to us. If we encounter spirit beings, it's, 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 it's not ghosts. Not ghosts. But what I really want you to understand is what happens when we die. Because when it comes to all of our discussions about ghosts, it isn't really death what our questions are about. The Bible says that the God who made you, he knows the numbers of hairs on your head. For some of you, that's easier than others. He knows the numbers of hairs on my head. The Bible also says that, the Bible says that he knows every time a sparrow falls. I mean, this is the way God loves his creation. Every time a baby bird falls from the nest and dies on the ground under the tree, you understand, God attends that funeral. And if he knows the hairs of your head, and if he knows every time a sparrow falls, he will be there in the moment when you die, he will be there. He will know. And you will meet him. He will take you to your eternal destination, and it will either be heaven or it will be hell. But he holds the keys to those places. Do you understand? It won't be St. Peter at the gate interviewing you to see if you can come in. Do you understand? Jesus holds the keys to death and the grave. He knows you. He loves you. And he will attend your death. You will not roam the earth you will not have to somehow move toward the light on your own he 
is the light. And when you die, you will be in his presence. There is no question about this. And there is nothing to fear if you know him. If you know him, there is nothing to fear. And if you don't know him, I'm pleased to tell you, he knows you. And he invites you, he invites you to invite him into your life, into your heart. Invites you to allow your body to be the temple of his Holy Spirit. Because here's the thing, if you come to know him in this life, then you will be with him forever in the life to come. There are no exceptions. He knows you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows every sparrow that falls. And when you breathe your last breath, He'll be there. He'll be there. Pray with me. Oh God, in life there are such mysteries and there are things that we cannot see and things that we sometimes feel like we can't know. But Lord, we can know everything that you reveal to us in the scriptures. And we can know you. God, you have chosen not to remain far away. You have come near to us. You you have chosen not to be the creator from a distance. You have chosen to remain involved and to remain intimately engaged with everything that you have made. You attend the funeral of every sparrow that falls. And Lord God, we know that when our last day comes, you will be beside us even then. We thank you, Lord. We thank you. We thank you for the hope that we have for every person who's ever died, Lord. We know that they're not somehow lost in limbo, Lord. They were taken into the presence of the God who made them and the God, the only one, the only one with authority to judge their lives, Lord. Everyone stands before the same merciful, loving God. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the hope that we have for those whom we have loved and whom we have buried. And we thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have for our own lives, our own souls. Lord, we don't know how long that we will be souls in these earthly bodies, Lord. These old bodies run down fast. But we thank you for the promise, Lord Jesus, that when this earthly tent is taken down, we will have a new body, not physical, not made by human hands, a new body created and formed by you, O God, by your own hand. We thank you for the promise, Lord, that in life and in death, you are the shepherd and commander of our souls. So, Lord Jesus, let all of us together today trust you with our souls. Put our souls into your hands, Lord, on this side, in this life, 
so that we can know that we know that we know that our souls will be in your hands in the life to come. We pray these things in the name of Jesus who was dead but who now lives and who alone has the keys to death and the grave. We pray in his name.